Well, good morning once again. Today, we're going to take a bird's eye view of a specific Bible theology. And we're going to follow a thread all the way from Genesis throughout the Bible and end up at the end in Revelation. And throughout my years in ministry, I have heard many, many questions about curses in the Bible. You'll, you'll find that word quite a bit. You know, what, what, what do these curses mean? Why, why does God allow this or, or do this? But I don't believe that we can fully come to understand what or why or how until we can grasp its opposite as well. So join me this morning as we look at the biblical theology behind curses and blessings. The story of the Bible begins with God bringing life and light out of darkness, ordering our beautiful world, and then going about and blessing all of its creatures. And in the Bible, a blessing is specific. I know that nowadays in our common vernacular, you know, blessings are, you know, typically that thing that you do before you eat food, or maybe it's those words that you say after somebody sneezes. But the Bible is a lot more specific when it comes to blessings. And the first blessing in the entire Bible comes when God creates animals. Genesis 1.22, it says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. So God's blessing here is about flourishing. It's about multiplication of life. And it's when God shares his life-producing abilities with others. Next, God gives humans an additional blessing. He sets them apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. In Genesis 1.28, it says, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Not only are we one of God's creatures that can generate new life, but we've also been appointed as God's representatives. His representative image here on this earth to rule to oversee this entire flourishing world on God's behalf. This is how the story opens. So part of our blessing is to take care of God's blessing of all creation. And God, he wants us to rule while trusting in his abundance and to be able to eat from this tree of blessing the tree of God's own eternal life. But as we read the story, we notice that there is another tree. Another tree that is 
in the garden, and it represents the decision to try and seize abundance and life on our own terms, by our own wisdom. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so the humans that were created in the garden, they then go on to encounter a deceptive creature who tricks them into eating from this tree, the one tree that they were told not to eat from. And this creature convinces them that it is some sort of a shortcut to blessings. A shortcut to blessings. But this tree, it doesn't bring a blessing. It brings a curse. A curse. In the Bible, the curse is when God hands people over to the consequences of seizing our own blessing on our own terms. It's a curse because instead of abundance and life, we end up with scarcity, isolation, and death. It's like in the New Testament book of Romans when we see verses like this. God gave them over in the lusts in their hearts to impurity. God gave them over to degrading passions. God gave them over to a depraved mind. God has given us free will. He allows us to make our own choices. But how often when our choices bring about curses, then we want to put the blame on God. But getting back to our story, God curses the ground. In Genesis 3, 17, he says, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So instead of fruitfulness, there will be famine. The image that is presented here is that the whole concept, the whole idea of farming that we have nowadays, it didn't exist. The earth just brought forth beauty, fruits, vegetables, life-giving materials. But because of the curse, there is now famine. Instead of overseeing the world, humans will have to work the land until they die. We have to work really hard to make the land do what we want it to do. It's not always easy. I know many of you tend your own gardens. Some of you tend to things a lot bigger than gardens. And oftentimes I hear a lot of frustrations from you about what happened the the past week, what happened the past month, and the rains didn't come, or they came too much, or it was too hot or too cold. What was this cold snap that just came in the middle of spring? It's part of the curse. 
But God also curses that, that deceptive creature that fooled the humans. Verse 14, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. That's bad news right there. Bad news for a serpent. But God doesn't just leave it there. There's bad news for humanity. There's bad news for God's other creation. But he doesn't stop. God goes on to say that a human will come one day to destroy this wickedness. Verse 15, he says, and I, he's still speaking here to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Not the best rendition of the Hebrew there. Um, it, it, it's a stronger word. It really should read, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this soon-to-come human would be born into this world that is cursed, this world of scarcity where men and women and families and tribes are all at war with each other, constantly in violent conflict. It's a sad day for the world when sin entered into it because God's blessing that he was so freely pouring out is now covered with a curse. And if God's blessing is now covered with a curse, how are we to flourish? Even more, how can we rule in the way that God originally made us and called us to rule? And here, the biblical story takes quite an interesting turn because God goes out and he chooses one couple. We know them as Abraham and Sarah. And God blesses them, and he says that they will become this huge, flourishing family. Genesis 12, 1, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Thus, it's not just going back to the original statement of be fruitful and multiply. It's expanded upon. God says that his blessing on Abraham and his family was for a larger purpose so that through them, God's blessing then can then go out to all the nations of the earth. There's a new plan. And God's plan is to reverse the curse. God's plan is to reverse the curse and restore 
the blessing by first just blessing one specific family. And this family does experience God's blessing. Even when they journey through times of danger and scarcity, they grow into this huge nation, this huge family named Israel. Then God brings them to a mountain and once again invites them, calls them to be his representatives. Exodus 19.5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God will bless Israel so that they can be a blessing to all other nations, representing God, showing what his blessings are about. All they have to do is trust and live, not by their wisdom, but by God's wisdom. So, I mean, we're, we're essentially going back, trying to get back to how things were in the garden before sin came about. But he goes on to tell them that this is a choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Deuteronomy 30, 15 and 16, it says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you go to possess. But if your heart turns away, so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. We're seeing similar language to Genesis 3, are we not? You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death Blessing and cursing, there's a choice here. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them but we've got to keep reading. We've got to keep reading. This all seems like really good news. And we would assume, based on what the Israelites just got out of, namely slavery, that they would be ready to accept this, to move forward, to admit that their wisdom is nothing in compared to God's wisdom. But we keep reading, and as we keep reading... You read through some of the histories, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. We see that the Israelites almost never actually trusted in God and his blessing. Almost never. Their story is filled with tales of deception and violent grabs for power, resulting 
once again in the ultimate curse. Exile from their land and being thrown into slavery by foreign nations. The people trusted in themselves. And this was the curse that they got because of it. Yet there was still some hope amongst their ranks. It wasn't all darkness. There was a little bit of light, maybe just a a small flickering candle throughout those years. But the prophets trusted in God. The prophets never stopped believing. Israel's prophets, who did live through all of this, went through the enslavement, went through the wars, the horrible times, saw it firsthand, they still trusted in God's promise that he made all the way back to Abraham. They believed that they were still part of that story. They were still part of that family. And they anticipated a future Israelite, the one that was talked about, that human that would come, prophesied in Genesis chapter three, to reveal God's blessing and reverse the curse, not just for Israel, but for all the nations of the earth. And this, of course, leads us to Jesus. And in the story of Jesus, we find Israel still experiencing the curse. Now they are living as slaves to the Roman Empire. But Jesus, he was like those prophets. As bad as it looked, he still trusted in God's blessing. And he went on to claim that it was arriving with him in a new way through himself. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He wanted his followers to trust in God's abundance, to share, and to be generous. And he even taught his followers to bless those who curse them. Luke 6, 27 and 28, but I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. This is the core of Christianity, what it means to represent God, what it means to be a Christian. But just because it's at the core doesn't make it easy, right? These are some of the hardest things for us as humans with emotions, with feelings to do. But Jesus, he asked it. He begged of his followers to do it. He showed it through his example. And he would even go about showing how the curse could be physically reversed by healing people, restoring their bodies. He healed the sick. He made the paralyzed to walk. He raised the dead. He gave sight to the blind. God's blessing is once again being revealed. Jesus also confronted his fellow Israelites who were in power. He accused them of getting in the way of God's plan to bless his own people and to bless 
the surrounding nations. And as hard as that might be to believe, as tough as a pill as it is to swallow, that includes the Roman Empire. But Jesus, he he called them out. He called them on the carpet. And it angered them, it frustrated them, and it was these same rulers who plotted and planned and eventually had Jesus arrested and then killed. Yet instead of fighting back, Jesus believed that he was that prophesied one human, that true Israelite from Genesis chapter three who would face the curse that all of Israel, all of humanity, all of us deserve, and he would allow that curse to fall on him and him alone. Jesus died as a man under the curse. We see this explained by Paul in Galatians 3.13 when he wrote, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But just as God brought life and blessing out of darkness in the beginning, so here too, through Jesus, God reverses death by raising Jesus from the dead. The curse itself is put to death. The curse is put to death so that the blessing of God's life can spread out once again. After his resurrection, Jesus met with his followers and he blessed them. Luke 24, 49 and 50, Jesus speaking, behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. And he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And he said that his presence would be with them as they learned to trust in God's blessings and share it with others. To do that thing that past generations just for whatever reason were not able to do. And while death and the curse, they still have a hold on our world. Right here in 2022, followers of Jesus, trust in the power of God. And we can believe that God's blessing is stronger than any curse. Stronger than any curse. It means that we can live with extreme generosity, even when it seems like there's not enough. It means we can share joy in the midst of the sadness of this world. It means that we, as God's representatives, can be a light, even though all around us, it's just bathed in darkness. And that leads us to the conclusion of the biblical story, where every nation is then enjoying the abundant gifts of God, the abundant blessings of God. Revelation 22.3, it says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God 
and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Because in God's new world, that is sustained by the life-giving power of Jesus, there is no longer any curse. Only blessings. Every tear shall be wiped away. Revelation tells us that there will be no more pain, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more death. The former things of wickedness have all passed away burned up, never to arise again. And here, this is where our story comes full circle. Because we find a clear, clean, and pure river flowing with the water of life. And on either side is the tree that was initially planted in that first garden of blessing, the garden of Genesis. The leaves of the tree, as we are told, are for the healing of all nations. In the new world God creates, the curse will finally be reversed and his bountiful blessings will be fully revealed. And this, dear friends, is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about curses and it talks about blessings. So I hope that offers you some encouragement this day, this week. Because when you look around, it's very easy to only see the curses. Whether you're looking at the world, watching the news, or maybe just looking at your own life, and the decisions that you have made that you now regret, the decisions that you have made that weren't the decisions that God would have had you to make. And it's easy to get all caught up into that and to feel alone and to feel as if there is no hope and maybe even question whether God is there. Where is his blessing? Why don't I feel it? I hope this message gives you hope that the blessings are there already. And there are more blessings that God wants to pour out to you. But a lot of the times, it takes repentance. It takes a change of heart. It takes a 180, change in the direction our life is going. And the simple understanding, the simple confession that God, my wisdom is getting me nowhere but cursed in this world. I want your wisdom. I want to follow your way. I want to go down your path and experience your blessings, not just for myself, but so that I can share them with others. Curses, yes, they are around and they will be here as long as sin is still a reality. But the doors of sin are closing. And they've been coming to a close, not just for the past 2,000 years, but as we can see going all the way back to Genesis 3. Put your trust in God. Believe that he is working. And believe that he is making things right. Let's be a part of that. 
I'm going to have the closing prayer. But before I do, I want to invite Changamun Dende to come forward. He'll stand at these steps. I'll have the closing prayer, and then I'll go down on the other side. And those of you that wish to be dismissed, you can do so after the closing prayer. Please join us in the fellowship hall. Grab some lunch. But if there's anybody here that has any special needs, you have a special request, something that is weighing you down and you need to share it with somebody, we would love to speak with you. Maybe you have a tremendous praise that you experienced this week and you wanna share it with someone else. You want to praise God's name and thank him with a grateful heart. We'd love to hear that as well. So I'll have the closing prayer, but Chongo and myself will stick around for a little while afterwards. If you have any requests, any praises, we'd love to hear from you and lift your petition or your praise to the throne of grace.